Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church podcast. My name is Ryan Cagno. The HBIC podcast brings you weekly episodes on the topic of discipleship, where we'll sit down with members of the HBIC family to hear their stories, hear about the different ways people at HBIC are pursuing discipleship, in other words, how they are learning to follow Jesus' example and obey his teachings in their daily lives in practical ways. This week, I am joined by Kevin and Barb Kelly, who have been a part of our church for a long time and who, in a couple weeks, are leaving um, to engage long-term in uh, missionary work in Athens, Greece. We're going to hear today about the, you know, their journey up to that point, kind of their life and, and the call towards cross-cultural missions God laid on them. And then uh, there's going to be a part two next week um, on... Uh, you know, what it's going to look like for them in Athens. Really interesting conversation in the way that, you know, um, God calls us and how that can work itself out over the course of time and maybe not ways that we would expect. Uh, Look forward to sharing the first of this two-parter with you. Kevin and Barb Kelly, welcome to the HBIC podcast. Thank you. You never thought you'd make it this far (laughs) and see this day, right? We didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I, w- I almost want to give you to give a plug to people listening to like say yes to Ryan when he emails them to ask about doing this because I've been getting rejected and people feel like they don't necessarily have a story to share. But I don't think that's true for anyone. And it's certainly not true for you guys because you're leaving in uh, a little over two weeks, right? Not Correct. Not under two weeks for sure. You definitely have plenty of time. Um <laughs> Um, to go to Athens, Greece. Um, before we get to the Athens, Greece portion of things, I would love to just hear who you guys are, um, however you would want to make that pitch, you know, how you ended up at HBIC. Um, I believe Messiah College figures into that aspect of the story as it does for many. It does. Um, yeah, let's start at Messiah days, unless you want to go back further than that. Um, Paint a picture for us of the Kellys. Well, Barbara and I met our freshman year um, and ended up, uh, we've been together since our sophomore year, got married right out of um, college. Barb still had a part-time year left to go. Um, So we, while we were at Messiah, joined HBIC when we were at the other building, Okay. And joined as members. This was our first foray into the Brethren in Christ world officially. We both had intentions. I think uh, eventually, and some place down the road, doing cross-cultural ministry. Uh, the development of that dream sort of uh, took different shapes. Um, I worked for a, a year while Barb finished up her degree at Messiah here in Harrisburg at Bethesda Mission. Um, when Barb was done getting her nursing degree, we went down to Kentucky, Kentucky, uh, where I uh, pursued an MDiv at Asbury Seminary. Great. From there, um, our thought was we would do inner city ministry together in some shape or form. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Lord saw fit to bring us to a bivocational pastorate in uh, Sealands Grove, Pennsylvania, with a brethren in Christ. A small rural town. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where everyone goes for cross-cultural ministry. Yes, exactly <laughs> the way we, we anticipated. Um, we were there for about six years. Barb worked in an 
uh, emergency room um, and did a little bit of home health. Uh, you can share, uh, interject whenever you want. But um, And uh, I found myself, uh, after a, a few years volunteering in prison ministry at the county jail, and quickly found that for lots of reasons, it was one of the highlights of my week. And since it was a bivocational uh, setting, I, I figured what wouldn't it make great sense to see if I can find employment in prison ministry. Long story short, that resulted in me getting a job offered to go to Arizona as a federal prison chaplain in the Bureau of Prisons. So we packed up and went to Arizona with, uh, by that time, all three of our kids had been born. And uh, that began our, my journey as a prison chaplain. Um, about a year and a half later, transferred back here to Pennsylvania. Um, and through the course of events, um, because part of my job requirements require to maintain ordination, and the, the church with which to, we were members uh, closed, we needed to find a home. Um, but living where we were, not close to any BIC congregation, uh, we reached out to Woody and explained our situation, that uh, we're, we're kind of far away and probably won't be here much, but could we transfer our membership? And the church board met and decided, sure, we'll extend that. Um, that began our official long story to a short question, long, long answer to a short question. Uh, and we found ourselves getting involved more than we anticipated, but in many ways not quite as much as it would be nice because we're about 60 miles away. Um, so that's our foray, our introduction into the Harrisburg congregation. Yeah. I, I kind of want to take a couple steps backwards in that story um, to ask you about the genesis of your desire to pursue cross-cultural ministry. Uh, where did that come from, and what do you mean by that? For me, it started actually in high school, maybe even before that. I had a, a, a desire to do nursing, and um, in high school, I took a high school trip with my class to Haiti, where we served um, there. We did many different projects, but one was that we visited an orphanage where there was an orphanage slash hospital, and it kind of cemented my desire to become a nurse, and then also that I'd really like to do that kind of work in a cross-cultural setting. Um, so yeah, I went to Messiah and pursued my nursing degree, and always thought that eventually that nursing degree would land me someplace where I could use those skills for um, for those in need. And was this uh, a likewise for you, Kevin, a passion that you had, or is this something that Barb kind of like brought you along in, <laughs> seeing the value of, or? No, actually, I pursued Messiah um, with the intent of doing cross-cultural ministry. In my youth, I had, it had kind of been laid on my heart that um, I ought to be willing to go where perhaps others wouldn't be. So that was a, a driving force in my youth that um, manifested itself in a different way than I anticipated. But actually pursued Messiah 
and took a missions minor because they didn't offer a missions major. But I, I minored in, in Christian uh, missions. Um, during the, that, uh, the, the courses that, that um, were involved in that minor, it was impressed upon me the, the importance of having indigenous leadership in the church. And um, in, in a lot of ways, ironically, that minor steered me away from, at least initially, uh, cross-cultural ministries for concern to not make the same kind of mistakes that historically had been made in uh, almost imperialism kinds of uh, activities. Okay. So, so um, and uh, there's like a whole other podcast we could get into talking about uh, that philosophy of, of missional theology, um, and maybe we will a little bit here, but um, so you both come into Messiah with kind of this early inborn passion for cross-cultural ministry, potentially mission in some capacity. You graduate and do seminary and then find yourself in Sealands Grove. <laughs> was there, um, what do you think God was doing in that time? I mean, was there uh, disappointment or frustration on your part? Is it just kind of you, you get swept up and there's an opportunity to be a pastor and, and, and you step into it at that point? I mean, could we uh, zero in a little more on that part of the story? What were you feeling, thinking? I would say for me, it it felt like, you know, at the time, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand what we were doing in a small community um, in any, like it didn't fit anything that I thought where we'd be. Um, but looking back on it, I can see it as a real time of um, spiritual development as well as development in the skill of nursing itself, just knowledge building. Um, I was able to, I went from um, working on a med surge floor to working in the emergency room where my skills really just exploded. And um, you, you started to really build on the knowledge that you had just in, in nursing in general. Um, so, and then spiritually too, I think, um, man, I would say we rode a, I, I did, I have to say I rode a high through like Messiah and um, seminary, um, even though I wasn't the one going to seminary, but I felt like I was just kind of riding that spiritual high. And then I kind of hit a pretty low um, point in my life. And I think that as God brought us, me, I'll say me again, although I affected Kevin, but as I came through that low, um, I was really able to embrace God's grace and his true gift of forgiveness and love. Yeah, there were definitely challenges, I think, uh, in a, particularly in a bivocational um, setting. I was working at some stages, four, four jobs at, at once. And it, it was, um, I think in, in some ways it was a good training ground. In other ways it was, it was hard. It was, I think it was a low point spiritually, maybe a dark night of the soul kind of a, uh, experience. And it's, it's interesting 
because, uh, you know, there's some dear people in that small church where I was a pastor. Um, and, and yet somehow the congregation was dysfunctional in, in a lot of ways. Uh, so its closure eventually was really no shock to me. Um, but by the time that we left, uh, it felt as if um, it was more than time for us to move on. Uh, and so we were... You were there five years? You we said? were there about six years. Six years, okay. And again, no, it, it feels odd to uh, um, to a, make an assessment of that time where there were just some lovely people, but uh, it, it just became clear that the Lord was leading us in a different direction. And uh, by the time that it came time for us to move, we were both emotionally, spiritually, in some ways physically, um, uh, ready for the change, even a change that meant moving across the country to Arizona where we'd never been, um, and really had no, no connections at that point. You're far, and, farther, the better, right? Let's get across. Well, the country. I don't know that, I don't know that, uh, five days drive was, <laughs> was necessary to achieve that, sure, that, yeah, that yeah. Uh, separation, <laughs> Maybe but like Michigan or something. Would and be again, it wasn't, problem. it wasn't as if we, uh, were running away from people. We were, no, it was yeah. more that we were running towards a new opportunity. Um, and it created, I think, a, a, a chance for us to hit a reset button in many ways um, and focus energies and um, efforts in a more um, focused <laughs> uh, manner. And, and I just found that the, the role of chaplaincy professionally suited me well and found the prison setting to be um, very affirming of my, uh, I hate to use the term calling because we're all called in, into a relationship with God, but my, uh, my personality perhaps. Um, Could you say more about that? Like what exactly do you mean? I, sarcasm is my love language and, um, and candid, blunt conversation is my preference. And maybe I should get into prison ministry. Well, <laughs> and diplomacy is probably one of my, uh, certainly farthest away from my strengths. And so having the opportunity to, to essentially tell somebody in prison, okay, I think we're done. You need to leave my office, um, as an example, <laughs> mm. where that was both appropriate and well-received, uh, that wouldn't work in, in, uh, in the parish, so to speak, um. But uh, does given, not tend to no. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't have. I don't suggest that you embrace that yeah. strategy. But um, <laughs> it, it was liberating. Um, mm. Yeah. And also um, the the freedom to to uh, that I felt to to share from my heart without as much even subconscious anxiety about offending people in the pews. Um, it, uh, I, I only became aware of the subtle um, influences that directed what it was that I shared from the pulpit uh, after I no longer needed to worry about <laughs> the relationship between the board and, and my salary um, and, and potentially offending. And, and the, the funny thing is, is I probably would have 
deny that there was any such concern, but it it was kind of woven into um, uh, the desire to get along with people and to not unnecessarily create conflict where it didn't need to be. Right. Um, yeah. Whereas in a prison setting, I mean, it's not necessarily that that approach is rewarded. That might not be the right way to put it, but bluntness and candor, that's the, the common currency, I would assume, in that type of environment. And And interestingly, for the most part, pretense is not as prevalent. Right. Um, I had read at around this time when, uh, prior to our leaving um, the the pastorate, uh, a book called The, um, the People of the Lie by um, M. Scott Peck. And um, it's just a fascinating compilation of case studies by a, a psychoanalyst who um, demonstrated that some of the greatest lies and examples of evil are perpetrated by those who are upstanding, high, influential people. Um, And so people who come across to others as having it all put together are just wretched to their spouse and their children and, um, and evil and mean and cruel, and yet it's all behind a facade and a veneer of respectable community member. And and the personal experience of, of interacting with people who uh, epitomized that in the church became uh, just much more of a challenge. And that pretense, by and large, is not present in prison. These are people who've already been accused and found guilty of horrendous things. So what's the point in hiding? Um, and there's something refreshing in that honesty of uh, recognizing that it's not just um, um, a cliche to say we're broken, but for the redemption uh, from Christ, um, but to really work with people who, who are broken <laughs> um, and know it um, and have made bad decisions that landed them in a place that they certainly, for the most part, didn't want to be. Um, yeah, and and so I did that for about 24 years, um, and I feel like I'm talking too much and should let Barb share a little bit. So while he's doing this, you are uh, continuing to serve as a nurse practitioner in the emergency room, or no? I was, uh, actually, while we were in Arizona, Yeah, I took a break and just basically cared for the kids and the family. Okay. And um, when we moved back to Pennsylvania, um, that's when I resumed, actually basically resumed the same job I had um, back in the emergency room. But I was an emergency room nurse we homeschooled our children then for a time period also. And it's when they started hitting college that I was like, we, we had done a couple small mission trips with the kids to Honduras, to the Dominican Republic. Um, and it was during those trips that I was kind of like reignited to, um, to serve in that cross-cultural setting. Yeah, I was going to ask through this these various seasons, what happened to that kind of passion? 
sounds like there was a dormancy period yeah. or just a... I would say a little bit of a dormancy period where we just got involved with family life and raising children and um, our paths took kind of a different direction. And during that time, I think, yeah, I think maybe, I don't know how to explain that. It just, I would just say a quieter season in our life on the cross-cultural side, very busy with kids and, you know, those types of activities. When we took the kids on just short-term missions trips, which was still kind of a desire to expose them as well to um, to cross-cultural um, cultures and how it's not always the same, uh, just widening the worldview of our kids. Um, I would say it was at that time that I really started to kind of be like, yes, <laughs> this is what we wanted to do. And it was coming back from those experiences that I went on to get my nurse practitioner degree. And um, that took a couple of years to pursue. And it ki- I kind of in my own personal time frame was I become a nurse practitioner and then I get a little bit of experience as that before I go off into some um, third world country where there's not a lot of support, so I have to have a good base mm. um, to work. and. Um, basically had kind of come through that. I worked family practice for a couple of years, went back to the emergency room as a nurse practitioner in the emergency room and have, I thought five years, if I could get five years experience and you know, our plan is never God's plan. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I don't, have I been there? 2000, I graduated in 2014. So it's been more than five years that I've been working there. Um, but COVID kind of slowed the whole world down on all things. So we kind of lost three years there. Mm-hmm. And um, like co- co- COVID? What, yeah. did, what did you, what was that word? Yeah, no, was, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I got it. Yeah. <laughs> Something happened. Um, yeah, it's, I, I, it's just interesting to hear. And I, I'm sure for, in your experience, this bore out, but it's worth stating that. It's not as if you had this uh, desire, this calling from the Lord <laughs> in high school, college, and now finally at the age of in our fifties, forty-seven. Okay, <laughs> uh, now finally we're arriving at the point, like the starting line for this calling that God had on you. This is something that's been been in you, and in different ways you've been seeking to live it out, seeking to, to learn more, to prepare, to faithfully raise your kids up with similar um, values. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that along the way you've continued to value and tried to, to work in. Yeah, and I would say it was woven within those years as well. Um, I think Kevin's work in the prison, he was working with a population who is, um, you know, they're... Um, a needy population. They um, are often marginalized people. They have um, a lot of struggles when they re-enter society. And I think that his work in the prison, which he'll have to talk more about, um, was a way of grounding them. And for me, um, I started to find ways of working within the community. Um, So I started working once I came here to Beck, I heard about um, Mission of Mercy and started volunteering with Mission of Mercy. So I did that for several years uh, here. 
which was, again, working with people who are marginalized and um, they don't have access that they need to healthcare. And it was a way that I could express that desire to work amongst um, uh, different cultures. We see many different cultures here in Harrisburg. And you can find those opportunities within your communities. It takes some looking sometimes. Um, not so much maybe in our small community, although even our community, we see a lot of Latino people um, developing community there. And, um, and to a lesser degree, we have some Russian influences there as well. But here in Harrisburg, I feel like it explodes more. Yeah, just a, an image of faithfulness through this kind of long span of years of cultivating this. And you were more directly, I guess, in, uh, scratching that itch for yourself in the prison. Um, when Walk me through then, and I want to get to Greece. We're getting to Greece. So walk me through then like how you came through these last couple years then to finally move forward and do this. Was this something where... It was just always, we knew eventually we were going to go somewhere. Was there a turning point moment or a lightning bolt or like a, a call specifically to Athens? Um, what happened? We attended the, oh, I can't even, the MCC event. I, I always draw a blank on what it was called, but that was at the farm show in 2015, I think it was, that historic. Mennonite World Conference. Mennonite World Conference. Thank you. Not, I don't know why. Just was not coming to my mind. I got lucky. It's okay. Yeah, Mennonite World Conference. And, uh, of course, our pastor, Hank, was uh, one of the keynote speakers, at least for one of the sessions. And um, during that, I just felt a renewed sense of burden that I assume was from the Lord to uh, sort of get off my duff. <laughs> and I, th I think Barb and I shared uh, that... that uh, sense. When I started working for the prison, twenty the year 2019 was significant because that was the year I, I would be eligible for retirement benefits in from the Federal Bureau of Prisons system. So 2019 was always sort of looming on the horizon, uh, wanting to do something different because I just always felt prison ministry is wonderful uh, but it, 20 years would be enough, um, and it would be wonderful to, to use our time doing something where perhaps we could combine our, our efforts and begin working more closely together than Barb in her arena, me and mine, and be, by nature of the kind of work we did, rarely, if ever, the twain shall meet. And so the desire for us to work together side by side we kind of like each other, um, was always looming on the horizon. But 20, I think it was 2015 when the Mennonite World Conference was here in Harrisburg. Uh, just felt like another kickstart, like, okay, we've got four years. Let's get moving to get ready so that uh, when that starting pistol in 2019 goes off and I'm ready to move from prison ministry into something else, we'll be ready to go. Um, we started through spits and spurts a little bit with the what's now called the Missionary Development Community and the Brethren in Christ, um, connected with uh, uh, John Hobaker, um to get us into that. He was 
my bishop when I was a pastor. So we have a long uh, history of, of working uh, together in, in ministry. Um, and so he helped facilitate that connection with the missions office and just began uh, dialoguing with Jonathan Lloyd and, and Vicki Landis and, and others from that office, fully expecting with uh, Barb, failed to mention she went back to Haiti with the earthquake. So Haiti was another looming um, location that was certainly part of a Barb's heart. Um, and with some Spanish skills, figuring we're going to be in a Latin American context, we just got to find the right place where we can both contribute from our skill sets. And just over the course of conversations and and I think processing some of the media about the crisis at the borders with refugees in our own country. I think actually that was um, that was an important um, time as we became more aware of the refugee crisis on our own borders. We would discuss that, and we would discuss the um, injustice. We felt like there was an injustice, and that the process and bureaucracy and the politics all played a hand in oppressing people. And I just grew really angry at the rhetoric that certain unmentionables uh, Whoever in t between 2015 and 2019 might have been spewing uh, yes, things about a wall and, and animals and um, and just just uh, I, I just grew increasingly more angry that um, these people who were in crisis were being demonized. Really, uh, it seemed to me for the convenience of us who maybe didn't want to share from our abundance. Mm -hmm. And so our hearts grew towards the plight of the, um, the refugees. And in conversing with the missions office, they uh, had planned a trip. They had already sent a group to Greece where they went to uh, the Isle of Lesbos, Athens, and then um, we're going to, um, I, I believe Germany was part of that trip, to sort of trace the path, the typical path of... Mm -hmm. A refugee, and they were planning a trip to Lesvos, and we both went. Barb, okay, went, you were on that trip. I remember that we trip. were on the trip yeah. to Lesvos. Barb was able to connect, sort of on a last minute. Uh, it's almost amazing that she was allowed to join the boat refugee. It was called Boat Refugee Foundation. They sent out actually an urgent uh, request for medical staff. And um, we were only a few weeks out from going, and I was able to gather the paperwork that I needed, submit an application, and um, was able to join that team working in a clinic within the camp, whereas the rest of our team worked with Euro Relief. Um, so I was kind of separated from the team, which was, um, I don't know. It was a blessing and a curse, I think, uh, yes. in, in some ways, because we were on different schedules, and and whatnot, but um, we were both within the, the confines of the camp, which was a military-run facility. So it's a secure. You need you need a badge to get in, and um, so just anybody just can't walk in. We had to get a permission, and that was for protection of the refugees, trying to keep them safe. Right, and so I my permission was through Euro Relief, 
I think Barb might have had dual permission through Eurorelief and Boat Refugee Foundation. But she spent uh, her time working, using her skills in, in running a clinic and um, helping the, the refugees in that way. And, and I joined the team um, working with Eurorelief, which was responsible for all of the details for housing. So issuing tents, assigning um, locations where people um, could sleep, essentially. Uh, but being exposed to that level of trauma and crisis pert near broke me. Um, and I didn't realize it at the time. I was pretty stoic through it. Um, all of our team members had little episodes where they wept. And I remember thinking, what is wrong with you? These people don't need that. Get it together. Pull yourself together. And it didn't occur to me until we came back here to Harrisburg and were invited to share. And I don't even think Barb was here at that time. She was probably working. So I was called up on the platform, and I usually don't have fear of public speaking or anything, so it wasn't anything to do with nerves about speaking in, in front of a congregation. But in the middle of sharing about our experience <laughs> on the platform, in the middle of the work, I just, I just broke down and wept. And the realization that these are people whose only crime is being born in a part of the world where they're not free and where they've been trained and instructed to believe certain things. Um, and just realizing how tragic and powerful that trauma is and the thought of how desperate someone needs to be to get on these boats from Turkey to get to Greece, which is the way most of them get on rickety little rafts with inner tubes and um, make a five-mile trek across the open ocean because it's the closest point of entry. Um, to live in a camp, which was built, I believe, for 3,000 people and housing 14,000. People sleeping right up against each other from all over the world. So you had cross-cultural tensions within the confines of the camp because you've got Somalians and Afghans and Persians and Iranians and um, Ethiopians and, you know, people from Syria where, where everybody eats a As little I different. As I mentioned, they talk uh, this a is different. the first of a two-part conversation, so we'll have the um, second part some are loud, for some you quiet, next week. Uh, if you would like more information or to sign up for the newsletter of the Kellys, no you could escape. go to kellyscrossings.com. No uh, both of those words are spelled with K, so K-E-L-L-E-Y, K-R-O-S-S-I-N-G-S.com. I'll put that in liner notes somewhere, but um, I had, if you want to sign up for the I mean, newsletter, get more information, you can connect with them that City. way as well. Yeah. We'll see you next week. And that, that really cemented, I think, the burden for refugees, for both of us, that experience.